It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On July 1st, 1916, General Douglas Haig of the British Army planned a massive artillery attack on the German defenses near the River Somme in northern France. They buried these huge landmines underneath the German position that were meant to attack their machine gun posts, barbed wire, and other defensive fortifications. From there, a massive horde of infantry was supposed to overwhelm the damaged German position. Those soldiers, relying on the mines to do their job, ran uphill in muddy, unforgiving terrain in the face of machine gun fire. But instead of finding this German position torn asunder, they found it completely unaffected, undamaged, and still well fortified. There were over 57,000 British casualties on that day, the first in a brutal 141-day battle of attrition between two heavily entrenched armies. Not until two years later was the Somme River finally overwhelmed with the help of American and Canadian soldiers. What's up, everybody, and welcome to a weird episode of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, such as Spotify, Himalaya, Podbean, whatever you like. Or if you're a commuter and you don't want to be looking at your phone while you're trying to find your favorite podcast, you can just ask your smart device, like Siri, Alexa, Google Home, whatever it is, play podcast Locked on Vikings. And uh, isn't that a neat little story to start off a football podcast? But what's a lesson that we can learn from that? I I think that there is something that is pretty pertinent to the Vikings that we can take from the Battle of Somme and how it went so poorly for the British soldiers. And it's that when you rely on something to go right, you kind of have to just take that leap of faith. And if it doesn't go right things can kind of fall apart quickly. But I think what really is is compelling about that story from World War I is that all of those British soldiers just kind of assumed that the mines would go off the way that they were supposed to, and that they would find this, you know, halfway destroyed and tattered, ready-to-surrender German force, when instead they found barbed wire and fortifications and machine guns. But the lesson I think we can learn is that they were willing to take that leap of faith. Obviously, it it didn't really work out for them, but they were willing to act under the assumption that the detonations had already worked. They didn't wait to see because, well, they couldn't afford to. And I think that there's a football lesson to be drawn from that. So today, what we're going to actually talk about, because we have an extra episode here because of the short week, and I did a Friday episode, which is an abnormal thing for this show. That means that we've already gone through all of the in-depth breakdowns of the Washington game, and and we'll talk about the Chiefs game on, on Wednesday and Thursday. So we have this extra day. So it's the halfway point of the season. And in case you haven't noticed, there's a lot of discourse course about the Vikings run game and Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison and Kubiak and the zone scheme and all that stuff and I've talked a ton about it I've been talking about it since free agency and you know the kind of players that they've been trying to acquire and the scheme they've been trying to install and I I wanted to just kind of have a little extravaganza here on the run game and questions like do running backs matter Uh, you know questions like I mean we've seen the Vikings get all kinds of awesome production and all sorts of awesome results from this run game and we've talked a lot about if it's a and stuff, but is it smart, or should they just kind of be leaning on Kirk Cousins and say, yeah, Dalvin Cook, you rock, but you're still a running back? 
and we have to be, you know, a modern NFL offense to stand a chance here. So throughout the first, I'll, and I'll link a bunch of materials in the show notes here. I'm not going to always kick to it, but please do go browse through the show notes for more information on some of the stuff that I'm going to cite here. But through the first eight games of the season, both the passing game and the running game have had elite efficiency and elite production. And, and I'm not using the word elite lightly. It's been top two or three in pretty much every category, which is amazing. And it's a huge re- part of the reason that the Vikings are six and two, whether you want to talk about EPA, whether you want to talk about, you know, completion percent over expectation, which is a stat that is kind of the, the flavor of the month, but I really like it. I think it takes a, a pretty flawed concept and fixes the main issue with it. If you want to use yards after contact, yards per attempt, uh, PFF grade, really no matter what measure you use, the Vikings adjusted net yards per attempt is another one that's like a proxy for production, uh, even after adjusting for opponent for all of these things. I know a big criticism is like, ah, but the Vikings haven't played anybody. But, you know, I mean, if you take away the actual games against the Vikings, that schedule is fairly average and the Vikings blew it out. Point of all this being, the Vikings offense in a number of dimensions is really, really good so far. And that fixes to at least continue to some degree, even if it regresses to a mean. What does that mean? It can't be that bad, right? But amongst all that success is a dynamic running game. And I think the debate that I want to get into is, is that important? Is that helping the pass game or is the pass game just good? And this is just a coincidence. There's a lot of jokes that go around on, uh, you know, the internet highway with regard to running backs and, you know, running backs not mattering and, you know, roasting the Giants for taking Saquon Barkley second overall and, and roasting the Seahawks for running as much as they do and taking a running back first overall. That's not even starting for them, which even if you are a run game truth, that's just hilarious. But you might not be familiar with all that, so let's go over some of the actual arguments that are made about the running game and running backs and what you should invest in it and how you should call plays on game day and all the analytics, and then I'll talk a little bit about my opinions on this with regard specifically to the Vikings. But first, Peloton has a limited time offer for you. Get $100 off of accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started. I also want to talk to you a little bit about gambling, of course. Uh, So as I was recording this, Monday Night Football between the Dolphins and Steelers was just wrapping up, and I happened to have a small, reasonable wager on the under in that game. The over-under was 42 and a half. And so when there was this, uh, a turnover, it was, I think, 14 to 17, or no, 14 to 24. And then there was a turnover giving the Steelers the ball in Dolphins territory. And I was sweating a game that I would otherwise not care about at all. Because if you do a little mental arithmetic, it meant that a touchdown would be I lose and a field goal would mean I win, but I need no more points. It turned out that there were only 41 points in the game and my under hit just barely, but boy was I sweating that one out. And I had a whole bunch more fun watching that game than I ever would have if I didn't put a bet on it. So hey, why don't you try the same thing? Go to mybookie.ag right now. It's the number one online sports book out there and with great reason. They are fast. They are responsive. Their website is awesome and easy to navigate. And hey, if you sign up and enter promo code locked on, they will double your first deposit. It's free gambling money, just my gift to you. So head on to mybookie.ag right now and get started. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors 
over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Okay, so let's get started. And where I want to start is, is with the crux of the, like, you should pass more often than you run argument. And, and the conclusion here isn't that you should never run the ball. None of the analytics nerds think that, even though you, you may be led to believe that by the way that they write their articles and, and send off their tweets and the kind of snark that they give you. None of them believe that you should never run the ball, obviously, because that would create such a mismatch and defenses would eventually start keying on you and shut you down. The take, instead, and I think this is still plenty extreme, is that every single team in the NFL runs the ball more than it should. And the foundation of this argument is a lot more simple than you may believe. It's that passing plays get more yards on average. I mean, think about it, even the worst quarterbacks get a yards per attempt of what, like six and a half? What running game gets six and a half yards per carry? And you may think to yourself, well, yeah, because in short yarded situations, you know, running games will get, you know, two yards and you should use the running game in those two yard situations, but those two yards are going to drag down the average and you might actually be right there. And that's why you can use something like EPA to adjust for all that. So what is EPA? I cite EPA all the time on this and I do think it's important for me to just kind of like go over what it is every once in a while for new listeners or for a refresher. But essentially all EPA is and DVOA and a lot of the stats that I tend to cite on here is a way of assigning value to every single play and then you can tally that up and compare between between teams and divisions and so on and so forth. And the method is pretty simple, I guess. Uh, basically, you just take every down, distance, and field position combination. So, you know, second and four from the 35, you know, first and 10 from midfield, first and 10 from the 25. And you look historically at how often teams score and how much they score. And you average all of that out from those particular positions. So how often does a team get into, you know, third and four from their own 40? And how often do they get a field goal? And how often do they get a touchdown and average that out? And you can get the expected points that you have have in that situation. And then you compare that to whatever you have on the next play, right? You know, on fourth and two from your own 35 or whatever it is, teams probably don't score from that position very often. So it might even have a a negative EPA because you are punting to the other team and now they're going to go down and score. And so from there, you can add a play, you have expected points EP, and then the A is added. So you can kind of go play to play and see how much in expected points is added. And if it goes down, it means you probably didn't get enough and you are, quote, behind the chains. I think it's a great way of kind of assessing how you did in terms of managing the chains and keeping the chains moving and keeping yourself ahead of down and distance. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, the Vikings this year, and specifically Kirk Cousins, is flying to the moon in this stat but so is Dalvin Cook. And in fact, the Vikings, the Ravens, and I think maybe one or two other teams are the only, the Giants, I think, are the only teams in the league that actually average positive EPA on run plays. That is to say, more often than not, they add more value 
rushing the ball than when they lose value. You know, if you get one yard on first and 10, well, putting yourself in a second and nine is a situation that teams are going to score a lot less from, right? You're behind the chains. It's going to be harder to dig out and get your next first down. And the Vikings are in rare company in avoiding situations like that with their run game, which is a really strong testament to it. But the fact that that company is so rare is kind of the point that these analytics guys are making in that, you know, if you compare everybody's pass EPA to their run EPA, I actually don't think until like past, I think week four, the Vikings actually had higher run EPA than pass EPA. And a lot of that had to do with the Cousins issues that have since kind of been ironed out. But I think here at the midpoint of the season, I don't think that there's a team that is getting more from their run game than they are from their pass game in terms of EPA. So even after you factor in that down and distance and what about third and ones and stuff like that and factoring in, you know, the, the chance of interception or anything like that, the pass is just getting people more per play. And so it kind of logically follows that teams should probably call passes more until that efficiency number kind of evens out. And at a certain point, if the run game is more efficient than your pass game, then you're probably overcalling the pass game and defenses are like reading into it and you're becoming predictable or whatever. But no team is really at that point yet. And I think there's actually a fair amount of distance before teams start to get there. And so from here, the analytics community starts to weather a lot of criticism of, of this particular study, right? That there's intangible factors that you are not taking into account. You might even be thinking this to yourself, you know, well, what about the fact about like wearing down the defense, you know? You hear this all the time. If you run the ball a lot, by the time it's the, the fourth quarter, the defense will be worn down, they'll shy away from contact, and, and you know, that you'll be able to run all over them. And, and they've actually tested this because they said, okay, yeah, that's a fair point. Let's see if, I mean, how would you test that, right? If you wanted to really, truly get to the root of does that actually happen and you had a healthy enough amount of skepticism, well, you kind of have to try to maybe go find games where a defense has been run on a lot. You know, go find the games where it's the fourth quarter and they've endured 35 run plays and see, well, are they worse in the fourth quarter than they were in the first quarter? If you find enough of those games, you can start to see if there's a pattern here. And the answer is that really there isn't. Teams who have been run at a bajillion times are just as good as at defending the run as they were to begin the game on average. And you might even be racking your brain thinking of a game where, you know, maybe things didn't really get going like an Adrian Peterson game, you know, until he like really took over in the fourth quarter. Dalvin Cook has a couple like that, too. But remember, they're taking as many games as they can possibly find and trying to find patterns on the aggregate. So singular anecdotal examples don't really work out. And rest assured that those examples are part of the sample that they're testing here, and they're coming up with these conclusions in spite of them. Another common counterpoint that is discussed quite a bit is play action, right? Well, you have to run the ball, otherwise they won't respect your fake handoffs. And Lord knows the Vikings need this, right? They run play action all the time. They actually, I believe, lead the league in play action percentage, or they might be second now uh compared to Kansas City because they've been using play action way more to help with Matt Moore. Should be a fun matchup on Sunday. And so if, you know, Dalvin Cook were raptured off the face of the earth and the Vikings had to stop running the ball as much, eventually, you know, you would think it would naturally follow that defenses would catch on to that and say, oh, they're just going to fake the run all the time and play action would stop working. But there have been games where similar stuff has happened, uh, especially like Patriots games, and they run a pretty good fake, so maybe that's not the best example, but uh, Josh Hirschmeyer, he writes for 538 and he's done a ton of work on this, and he's specifically sought out and tried to find like the best counterexamples to his play action takes. Essentially find the games where they didn't run at all, 
but still ran play action, and logically it would follow if you need to run to set up the play action pass, that defenses, you know, after the 16th, 17th, 18th play action pass, and they've only run it five times, that linebackers would stop keying. And because of the shoulder trip tra- uh, chip tracking data, you can actually get a decent job of how hard linebackers are, are biting, and I'll link that in the show notes. You can get a decent look at this, and it turns out that it really doesn't matter how many times you call play action, or it probably does at some point, but teams haven't pushed that envelope yet. And even, you know, by the 21st, 22nd play action pass in a game where you're not running at all because you don't have a running game or because you're behind or because you're Bill Belichick and the Patriots and you have Tom Brady, uh, the defense is going to continue to bite on that play action fake provided it's a good fake. And there might not be a better play action faker, a better actor than Kirk Cousins. There's a whole bunch of other kind of run game talk that goes on and, you know, things like running, passing to running backs and stuff. But uh, for the sake of time, I'll just kind of let you, you know, search through all that stuff yourself. But the last running game thing that I think needs to be discussed here is do the running backs matter? And here's the part where the Battle of Somme comes in. Because much like the British soldiers in that battle... Dalvin Cook or Alexander Madison or whoever needs to kind of trust that linemen are going to get to their spot before he can really know that they got there. He has to make his read bang, bend, or bounce. And I've talked a ton about it on this podcast. I have a thread sticky to the top of my Twitter page of every explosive run the Vikings have had this year explaining those concepts further. But if you watch a lot of these, the running back has to make a decision before he knows if the lineman got there. And so to a certain degree, he has to basically judge positioning and then trust that they're going to do their jobs. This honestly comes into play a lot in the passing game, too. You know, you always say you have to throw them open or you have to throw with anticipation. The ball has to be out of your hand before the wide receiver actually hits their break. And you just kind of have to trust that they're going to do the right thing. And so when miscommunications happen in the run or the pass, they tend to look really, really silly because somebody had to blindly trust it. But the question kind of naturally follows. If you need the offensive line to do their job before you can even have a chance to do your job, Does it really matter if you're good at your job yet or not? Because the success or failure of the play has already been determined before you even get a chance to do anything. And that's generally at the foundation of the argument against running back value. Saquon Barkley has a lot of one-yard runs, and those one-yard runs aren't his fault. They're because a center or a guard or a tackle got destroyed, and, you know, they get him in the backfield, and he can't get ahead of steam, and he can't get enough momentum to make a jump cut or anything like that. We watched it for 10 years with Adrian Peterson in the famine, famine feast. He would have all kinds of one-yard runs, and it didn't matter that he was Adrian Peterson. You know, Anthony Herrera was more important to that play. Eric Eager at PFF has specifically been working on a wins-above-replacement model. This might be a stat you're familiar with with uh if you're a baseball fan but wins above replacement is essentially uh, you you establish what is quote-unquote replacement level which is like the bottom quartile of players essentially if you got a rando off the street how would they perform or like a guy from someone's practice squad or something like that and then you measure how the player you're looking at did above or below that level and the usefulness of this is you can actually kind of establish between certain positions, you know, what is the wins above replacement on average of a good left tackle versus a bad left tackle, or a good center versus a bad center, or a good running back versus a bad running back. And essentially, the the conclusion that he came away with was that every position on the offensive line had more impact on the win 
than running backs did. And that might be a completely insane conclusion to you, and, and with good reason, right? Well, he's the running back. He's the guy with the ball. How can that guy not matter? But it's what I talked about earlier, because the offensive line has to hit their blocks before the running back even gets a chance to matter. And even when they do matter, a lot of times the most high-leverage yards have already been bought by the offensive line's performance. You can even look at some of the Dalvin Cook runs from this year. Cook doesn't actually make somebody miss until he's already 15 yards down the field. The first down has already been had, and at that point it's just field position, and raw field position is worth a lot less than, you know, yards within the down and distance matrix. And, you know, that makes sense, right? The fresh set of downs is worth something, and once you've already gotten it, everything else is a little bit of just gravy, and it's just field position. It's like the difference between a 10-yard punt return and a 15-yard punt return. That five yards is kind of whatever. So there's a ton more research that has actually gone into the running game, and I wish I had time to get into it all, but what I really want to do is spend the rest of the show talking about how I actually interpret those takes and those general, like, aggregate conclusions, which I think are very well supportive and very persuasive, and how they align with what the Vikings are doing, which kind of flies in the face of a lot of that. So that's all coming up in just a moment. So I shouldn't really have to convince you that the Vikings are really, really good at running the ball. And by the way, here in the midpoint of the season, decent time to kind of take a step back and appreciate how much further we are along than where we were at this point last year with no Tony Sperano and let's be honest, an offensive coordinator who did not know how to coordinate a run game. Pretty cool stuff. And I think a big reason for it is that blind trust, that leap of faith that the British soldiers in 1916 took is the same kind of faith that the Vikings players and teammates are putting in each other. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but it also has a really big effect on like the timing of things. You look at a lot of those plays. I I actually uh, just finished breaking down the explosive runs from the Thursday night game. And if you remember that third and 19 conversion that Alexander Madison had, where he bounced off of Troy Apke, I think it was. If you just look at the timing of the blocks on that play, all the linemen don't really have like a lot of time in their blocks, except for Bradbury, who just buries somebody. But otherwise, you see Madison kind of passing defenders at the exact moment that linemen are meeting those defenders. And what that means is that, A, Madison is is trusting that those linemen are going to get in the right position and, and set those blocks and, and create those positive engagements. But also that those linemen are getting in the spot with the trust that the running back is going to go by them very quickly, and that means that they don't have to hold their block for forever. It makes everybody's job easier when the timing is exactly impeccable like that. And a lot of that comes with practice. And to be honest, you know, when I went to camp in day like five of it and sat in the bleachers, I saw that exact same polish and that exact same timing and kind of went, oh, wow, they actually look like they're no- they know what they're doing this year. And it's led to, through eight weeks, the Vikings rank fourth in generation of explosive run plays, and actually their first in generation of explosive pass plays. So essentially, this is an offense that has run through generating huge explosive gains. And I think uh, I'm using sharpfootballstats.com or in Sharp's website to uh, scrape those numbers, and they cast a shallower net for explosive runs than I did in my thread. I cast a wide net on purpose so I could break down more plays, but you get it. They're very, very good at creating run plays that are actually helpful and are positive EPA. Remember, most teams aren't good at this. Most teams, on average, leave themselves in a worse scoring position than when they started if they run the ball, especially on early downs, like first and second down. You see a lot of offensive coordinators getting criticism for this. Uh, The Steelers, just tonight, with Mason Rudolph, I mean, they took this incredibly conservative run-first game plan and ended up getting a whole bunch of third and longs, and Mason Rudolph couldn't convert, and that's why they almost lost to the dang Dolphins. 
and that kind of thing's happening all over the league, but it's not happening with the Vikings because their run game is actually putting the Vikings in good down and distance situations. This is something that actually Chris Russell on, on Crossover Wednesday last week previewing the Washington game was talking about, you know, hey, if you know you get into third and manageable, the, our team is toast. And that's essentially what happened on offense there. Couldn't punch it in, but that's a different thing entirely. And that positive EPA that they get, which kind of sets them apart from the rest of the league, except for a handful of teams that are in this rarefied air, is largely driven on those explosive plays. If you remove, say, all, you know, 20 plus yard runs and kind of say, well, that's not reliable, right? You can't get those, you know, you can't guarantee that you're going to get a bunch of those in a game, which I guess is fair, but it's also like part of the game, right? But let's say you, you throw them out. Well, yeah, then the Vikings would actually be very, like, ill-advised to run all the time because it would, you're, you're kind of left with all just the marginal gains and a whole bunch of one-yarders. But it's pretty unwise to do that because they've had... 39 runs this year of 15 yards or more. That's 15% of all of their rushing plays. That means when you run, you do have a reasonable chance at breaking off a big one. That's roughly every sixth run. And that's a number that's actually held pretty steady over the course of the season, something that I can actually feel pretty confident projecting forward that they're going to be able to keep up the explosive runs at about that rate. Of course, unless defenses like totally commit to stopping it, in which case they'll get gashed exactly like the Lions did. And Philly, I think they got hurt real bad on that. But the analytical case isn't really that that's what happens, mostly because defenses and defenders are trained from, you know, peewee football in fourth grade to key on particular run tells and stuff. And it's just instinctual muscle memory that would take years to iron out of them. And coaches don't even really want to do that in the first place. So they're just going to keep falling for play action. It's going to be there forever. And I, I... would hesitate to say that because the Vikings have a good run game, they also have a good play-action game. Like, I think if the run game was bad, the play-action game would still be good. It was one of my biggest gripes with John Filippo last year is that he didn't call the play-action game probably because he thought the bad run game was invalidating it. But when they did run play-action, it was still pretty good, except for, you know, the odd play where the offensive line would fall apart. But that was a last-year talking point. And essentially the conclusion that I'm going to draw here from all this stuff is that I believe in the analytical arguments against running the ball and against the value of running backs and all that stuff and the idea that running backs are so plentiful and essentially that you can ask just about any running back to have that same blind faith and make the right read. There's probably 45 to 50 running backs in the league that can make the right read and hit the hole with reasonable athleticism and get just about as many yards as everybody else. But Dalvin Cook has made a few plays that I don't think other running backs have made. The thing is, they've come after that, you know, 10-yard, you've gotten your fresh set of downs, and now you're just playing for field position point. So I definitely get the idea that, you know, the Vikings having Dalvin Cook isn't really setting them apart versus if that guy was like Chase Edmonds or like a rookie like Miles Sanders. Or heck, I mean, say Dalvin Cook goes down and Alexander Madison is, is, you know, the run game master from here on out. Do you feel any less confident? I actually don't think the run game would skip a beat. And if you know me in this podcast, you know that's coming from a huge Dalvin Cook fan. But I'm also like kind of okay with all that stuff because whatever they got going right now is working. And I don't really care that you could technically like trade away a piece or get rid of a piece and save some money and still be like pretty much as good. That seems like a way to maybe shave off a penny here or there but I'm kind of okay with it just chilling as is and being like a genuinely helpful part of the offense, which is an advantage that the Vikings have that a whole bunch of teams don't have. And I'm okay with 
the Vikings using a whole bunch of play action if only because they think the running game is working. It's not good process, in my opinion, but it's working, and I'm okay if things just kind of steady, steadily go along the way that they are right now. Use a lot of play action. Get those explosive runs and continue to put up 30 to 40 on these teams. They didn't get there this Thursday, but they're going up against a bad run defense, at least according to Chris Russell of Locked On Chiefs. They're going up against a suspect run defense next week on the road, and maybe they can get something going over there. Ultimately, the formula that the Vikings are employing right now are generating explosive plays 14% of the time, which leads the league. Through eight weeks, that's an incredible stat and something that is worth commending. And I think even after going through all of the run game doesn't matter and running backs don't matter talking points, of which I respect and pretty much believe, I'm okay with the way that the Vikings are approaching this season. I don't think that they're falling victim to the hit him in the mouth and hope you can wear him down thing. I've never really thought that you can attack the toughness of an NFL player and have that work out for you. To me, it's like invading Russia in the winter. You underestimated someone. And I think the Vikings have established a blind trust in each other, even in players like Pat Elfline and Garrett Bradbury, who have been maligned at certain points in the season. The players between themselves and interpersonally have established a blind trust that I think will keep these explosive plays coming. I feel really good about that. And I think ultimately, and this is a little bit of a pie-in-the-sky point here, I think teams are going to figure out how to make running backs matter again. Because, you know, when, when running backs are develop, they're the most athletic kids in their high school and in their middle school. They get put at running back because in high school and middle school, the running game is a lot more efficient and, and a lot more susceptible to breakaway plays and can get more yards than the pass game and stuff. It's a lot different in the NFL. And even some college teams tend to be like only running teams because that's just the way that their conference is set up and the, the level of competition is a little bit wonkier. And so the best, most athletic kids get put at running back because that's what makes you the star. And so these hyper-athletic running backs are just flooding into the league, and I think the smart coaches have already kind of started to figure out how to turn them into better weapons than just jamming them up the A-gap every time and getting two yards and saying, yeah, but we bruised them. I, You know, you see the way that Andy Reid is using his running back, and D Doug Peterson was using his running back, got an awesome touchdown against the Vikings with it. And yeah, the way that Kevin Stefanski is using Dalvin Cook, I would put right up there. The way that Sean McVay uses Todd Gurley. The way Sean Payton uses Alvin Kamara. I mean, these guys are figuring out how to take these hyper-athletic guys and turn them into actually successful weapons. And I don't think the league's good enough at it yet. Ben Baldwin's done a ton of work basically debunking the value of the running back pass, but I don't think that's because running backs are inherently less valuable. I think that's because NFL teams just aren't good at it yet. But the smart guys are figuring it out, and it's a copycat league, and I think we're trending in a pro running back direction. Give me those backfield verticals, those wheels, those really cool routes that all the smart guys use. That's going to start to become more popular, I think. And, and I think that while the correlations are really compelling right now, in a few years, that data might change. And I think it's always going to be worth redoing all of these experiments. Maybe I'm wrong, or maybe Dalvin Cook will inherit the earth. But Either way, that's going to do it for this episode of Locked on Vikings. I know it was a little bit more of a weird one, a little more ethereal and a weird cold open for you. Uh, that's the kind of thing that you're going to be able to expect from me when I have a little extra time. We're going to do a lot of weird stuff like that in the offseason. It's my favorite kind of show to do. So do stick around after the season if you uh, want more content like that. Or if not, that's fine. And I'll see you in 2020. Imminently, I will see you tomorrow for Crossover Wednesday. 
with Chris Clark of Locked on Chiefs. And then on Thursday, the Chiefs on our own in a whole bunch of depth. And I can't wait for all of that. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts or just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow for Crossover Wednesday. And as always, skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked on NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.